You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kittramelides, I'm joined by Sid Lowe. Hello Sydney. Hi Phil, how are you? Have you had a marvellous bank holiday? Well I've just come back. A bridge, I should call it a bridge, not a bank holiday, shouldn't I? Yes, uh, it's a festival, it's a public holiday here and I've just come back from the seventh circle of hell, uh, which is also known (laughs) as the Parque Warner, which is the Warner Brothers theme park on the outskirts of Madrid, which on a very, very, very hot public holiday... It's not a good place to be, um, so I'm very pleased to be back and um, recording this podcast with you, Sydney. Uh, let's um, tell everybody what happened on Match Day 32, a, a match day that hasn't actually finished at the time of recording. We've still got Mallorca against Athletic Club and Sevilla against Girona. But on Friday night, we saw Real Sociedad beat Osasuna 2-0, and then Elche beat Raya Vallecano 4-0. Yes, that's the same Raya Vallecano that beat runaway leaders Barcelona a few days before and yes that's the same Elche that have been bottom of the table for seven months uh, Real Madrid I wish there was a hashtag for this kind of thing <laughs> there, I really do there is um, the hashtag is Rio gone Rio they're always gonna, they're going to be Rio uh, Real Madrid beating Almeria by four goals to two in a really entertaining game at the Bernabeu and Barcelona beating Real Betis 4-0 uh, in another entertaining game but which was conditioned by Real Betis getting their 13th red card of the season. Uh, Sunday was all about the relegation battle. Uh, Cadiz beating Valencia 2-1 in a monumental game at the bottom of the table. There was also a huge clash between Espanyol and Getafe, which Espanyol edged out 1-0 in Jose Bordalas' first game back in charge of Los Azulones. We also had Villarreal beating Celta Vigo 3-1. And Atletico Madrid... uh, on paper, thrashing via the lead 5-2 at the Estadio José Torrilla. In reality, it was a lot closer than the scoreline suggests. Uh, as always, our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP are going to get a Q&A pod on Tuesday, answering their questions, and a bonus pod on Thursday or Friday, discussing midweek match day 33 in La Liga. And we'll also be releasing an upper, another episode of Rincón Cultural, talking about life in Spain and answering your questions about what it's like to live in Spain and what aspects of uh, life we um, we enjoy or don't enjoy. So come and join us. It's around four euros or four pounds or five bucks a month. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. The relegation battle was certainly the main talking point uh, this weekend. So that's where we're going to start, at the bottom of the table, where there were those two massive games, Cadiz beating Valencia and Espanyol beating Getafe. We were both watching the uh, Cadiz game, not, not not together, but we were discussing it on, on WhatsApp. And you said a nice uh, description. You said, this feels like a World Cup game. Yeah, I think I think it was... I mean, I was I was taken to Sarriat in 1982, where, of course, Brazil played um, played Italy, partly because of the aesthetics of it, because, of course... Um, 
Cardiff play in that, in that gorgeous yellow kit, which looks a little bit like the Brazil kit because they play with blue shorts as well. <laughs> because it was a lovely sunny day with a very open top stadium because there was ticker tape that was gold and blue, well, yellow and blue, everywhere. Because there was a real sense that, that everything was riding on this. Every challenge was a cheer. Every tackle was kind of roared. Every time anyone attacked, everybody absolutely crapped themselves. There was just this fantastic sort of desperation and tension about it. And it was... A huge amount of fun. Now, I know it might not be a lot of fun for those people who support one of the two teams and certainly not a time for some of the the players. But, you know, football needs jeopardy. Football needs danger to to be really, really Mm. fun. And allow me to go off on a, 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 not a rant, but to try and make a point at, uh, at this very early stage of the pod. It's quite early for me to do this. But those money men who want closed competitions have no idea. The relegation battles, I think, I think, provoke a degree of kind of human emotion or exaggeration thereof that even mm. winning the league can't compare with. You know, the desperation, the fear, the nervousness. And, and yes, yeah, sometimes it means that the football isn't of a great quality because good players suddenly lose the ability to control their feet. But there is, there, there is something really fantastic about it and, and certainly the Cardiff game and actually I think the Espanyol Getafe game as well but to a slightly lesser extent the Cardiff game was, was, was joyous and then when they finally won it it was brilliant as well uh, Worthy winners I think I mean we expected Yeah I, mean, they, I agree they, with they, you They were 2-0 yeah. up uh, they scored the second goal right at the start of the second half and we thought oh this is going to be comfortable and then a really bad mistake from Conan Ledesma uh, allowed Valencia to pull one back and uh, at that point, you're kind of expecting Valencia to really go for it, especially after they've gotten a late winner in midweek uh, against Valladolid. It never really happened. We never really saw that onslaught. And I'm not saying Cadiz were comfortable because nothing was comfortable about this game. But at yeah, the same time, yeah. they were, they, they, they were, they were, yeah, they were worthy winners. Do you know? Do you know? What I think maybe the word is um, it's clarity. Hmm. So I think after after Valencia had scored the the first goal, which was gifted by by Conan, but it's an absolutely brilliant finish from Samuel Lino. He takes it so so well, a fantastic little touch to to dink it over Conan after Conan had basically passed the ball to him by mistake, and then took it from a and finished it first time from a, quite a tight angle. Hmm. It's a brilliant goal, and after that we did get the reaction from Valencia in terms of a desire, in terms of having more of the ball, in terms of creating a nervousness among amongst Cardiff players in terms of creating a couple of chances. So there's one absolutely fantastic save from Conan when he's diving to the top corner. Yes. And I don't know about you, right? But I felt like he dived too early and he was starting to fall. <laughs> and somehow he managed to push himself back up into the air. It was ex- I mean, we, we, you know, the old cliche about how a really good centre forward is able to hang in the air. Yes. Well, Conan kind of hung in the air. Yes. Or multiple, he sort of pushed himself back up again. It was just bizarre. A completely brilliant save. And then there's an exceptional save, which isn't actually a save. It's two defenders on the line. I can't remember which one it is when, when Valencia have two shots and they block both of them. But bear in mind that Valencia scored, Samolino scores, correct me if I'm wrong, 58 minutes, I think it is, something like that. It's mm-hmm. about half an hour, a bit more than half an hour to go. And, and Valencia have quite good players. <laughs> you know, and this is one of the things that the whole discussion about them being in trouble all season has focused on whether this team is too good to go down. And I think it's a team with some really big flaws, but I think it has good enough players to not be in this position. Not as good as Sevilla, who have bought themselves out of it, but good enough to not be there. And they did cause... Cardiff a few problems, including those two chances. And they did take a step forward and they did kind of try to make things happen. But, but for me, I'd say, I go back to that word clarity. 
I saw a statistic somewhere. I hope I haven't got this wrong. And you, you've normally got your finger on the pulse of stats, so you might be able to tell me. I, I think I saw a statistic that said Valencia delivered 37 crosses. Yes. Which is a massive number. Yes. And yet, really and truly, the 37 crosses yielded those two chances and a couple of slightly nervous punches. And that's about it. And so there was a real sense of tension. There was a real sense of desperation. There was a real sense of kind of drama about it. Hmm. But I think you're right. It only occasionally felt like Valencia were going to do it, except, of course, for the fact that it, you know, it only take it only needed one thing for them to have to have achieved it. And actually, really and truly, they hadn't done as much as you might expect in midweek, and they'd gone and won it in the ninety third minute. So you're still watching it, thinking this could happen. But then, when you take a step back post game, I, I agree with you. I don't think Valencia did enough to to justify the idea that they deserved anything more than the defeat from this. I know you said they've got. They've got good players, but I genuinely don't think Valencia are a good team and I genuinely no, am no, struggling no, 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 to, 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 to come to the idea that they've, that they've got a good manager as well. No, well, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I feel like that a little bit and, and, you know, regular listeners will know I'm, I'm very, very uneasy about, if you like, kind of blanket judgments of, of any player, but in particular of managers, hmm. because, you know, they've been through, the, you know, they've, they've got their um, UEFA Pro licences, they've been through it, in many cases they're former players as well, they understand the game a million times better than the rest of us, they have the information in their hands that we don't have in terms of how well people have trained, what the personalities are like, what the chemistry is like, and all of those kind of things. But I don't see a huge amount of, eff- uh, of, of evidence from Baraja that there's something really obviously there um, and you know his career so far has been poor again I'd be reluctant to, to completely dismiss something on the basis of a career which can be partly circumstantial partly poor bad luck and so on but listening to Baraka talk and you know I don't necessarily want to lay everything on, on, on how well he talks because that's to do with you know eloquence and charisma and communication skills and so on which are not the only thing that matter in management but they do matter in management and you just you don't feel convinced, do you, when you no. hear him talk? You, you don't, you know, there are managers that fail, by the way, and yet you, they sound very convincing in the press room. Oh, And they yes. might not be good managers. Yes. You can talk to players who will tell you, he's bloody awful. I've, I've spoken to, obviously, not, I'm not going to tell you who it is for <laughs> really obvious reasons, but there was, there was a manager who, who I was really, really impressed with. Almost every time I heard him talk, his initial results at his club were exceptional. He's since been sacked. But I talked to one of his players last year, and my God, he destroyed it. <laughs> Just, and, and, and I was really shocked because I thought that, that really genuinely isn't the manager that I think I see from yeah. the outside. And so you know, there's a, there's a warning there for, for us as well about being too judgmental. But, but I, I agree with you. I don't think this is a well-constructed team. So I mm. look at it. You talk about good players. Well, I talked about good players. Guy has a good player. I think Gabriel is a, is a centre-back for a first division team without any doubt. I actually think in this game, Diakabi played brilliantly. He was a centre-back I don't always like that much, but I thought he was, I thought he was fantastic in this game. Um, in theory, Elikes is a good player, although he just hasn't played well at all all year. In theory, Nico's a good player, but he's been injured a lot. Yunus Musa is a good player, but he's been quite up and down. Um, Cavani's supposed to be a good player, but I must admit, all through his career... I've had one or two doubts about Cavani. And for the last three or four years, I've got very significant doubts about Cavani. But I think Samuel Lino's a good player. I think Samuel Castillejo can be. You know, there's, there's enough talent there that, you know, take the two squads, right? In terms of talent, there's no way they should be in the same place as Cadiz, hmm. for example. No hmm. way. Uh, we've been saying this uh, feels like all season, but it remains extremely tight at the bottom of the table. Uh, there are six teams separated by four points. So Cadiz are at 14th, they've got 35. 
Valladolid have got 35, Valencia 33, Almeria 33, uh, and then the bottom three are Getafe and Espanyol on 31, and Elche, who uh, could have been relegated yeah. this weekend had they not thrashed Rio 4-0. Uh, they've got 16 <laughs> points, uh, so they will be relegated soon, uh, possibly even uh, this week. But it's um, two from those six you would have thought are going down. It was the perfect weekend, wasn't it? I mean, obviously, you know, the fans of the teams that lost won't agree with us, but it was a perfect weekend in terms of let's make this title race even tighter. Title? So, obviously, because had I... Sorry, did I call it title race? Sorry, relegation (laughs) battle, yeah. Um, Because, obviously, you you know, had Espanyol been beaten, and in particular Mm. at home, it would have made it 10 games without a win. And to be honest, I think we'd be saying they're gone. Now, for what it's worth, I still think they're the most likely team to go of all of the teams down there. Mm -hmm. I still think that. But I just what, but you know, this suddenly means that they're kind of in it. The two teams that were at the top end of those relegation candidates lost. The teams at the bottom end of it, not including Elche, well, actually including Elche, as it turns out, but you know, they're not really in the, in the fight. Won, and then so you've got this kind of lovely, lovely squeezing together of it, and it's it's wow, it's going to be fantastic. Which is why you get this thing, don't you? Every week it's like this weekend will be decisive, <laughs> but the only thing the weekend ever decides is that they've got to carry on and do it again next weekend because uh, every week it seems to com- compress even more. And we've got Jose Bordalas back as manager of Getafe. He took over in 2016 when they were second bottom of the Segunda División. They're now second bottom of La Liga with six games to go. You feel that he is a manager that knows what to do and knows how to get them out of here and, and, and can keep them up. The only problem is that they've got a game in, I think, two days' time and uh, whether or not he's got time to implement his very sort of clear and uh, distinct ideas on the squad, we'll see. I think there are eight members of the squad that were there in his first tenure, so uh, maybe they'll be familiar with the intricacies mm. of Bordelas' ball. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the, the, the return of uh, José Bordelas is uh, uh, a pretty big story for Getafe. Yeah, it's massive. Of course it is. And, and you know, this is a guy they absolutely love. Um, the fans do anyway. Um, let's see what the players, how the players respond to it. Because, you know, by the end, there was a slight sense of, of, of a kind of a, I wouldn't call it a full on breakdown, but a bit of a disconnect towards the end. I think that the, the, the message he has will be very, very clear. I think he's aware of what the task is before him. I think he will maybe we'll see elements of what Mendelibar did as a simplification of certain elements. But I don't look at Getafe this year. And this is where they're different to Sevilla, even if there's some, some parallels in the process of, of bringing Bordelas in as there were with Mendelibar. I don't look at Hitafe as I did with Sevilla and say, this is a team that's shooting itself in the foot week after week. I don't look at them and say, this is a team that makes silly mistakes and if you can just iron them out, they've got enough quality to win games. I think it's a team that's had limitations um, in key areas. Yes, it's true that they have made some key mistakes and they have folded a little bit quickly emotionally when things have gone against them. But I, I think it's, it's a, a team with two pretty good strikers. I think it's a team with I mean, two very good strikers. Well, I think it's a team you know, with one very good one, one, good, and, one, one, very one good striker, and one yeah, pretty yeah. good one. I think it's yeah. a team with a handful of, of decent players in it. Um, I, I think Luis Mia is a very good player. He's not had a great season in truth, but I think he's a very good player. I think Gonzalo Villar can be a good player when, when, when it's right. Um, obviously, we know that Maximovic and, 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 and Barry Aaron Barry, who's actually not really played, you, or not played as much as, as he would like. You know, there, there's, there are footballers there. I guess the thing is, it's so tight at the bottom that it mm. could be that only a couple of victories do this. Now, I think the threshold is going to be more than 40 points this year. Yeah. Um, and, and I think some of our normal assumptions possibly have to go out the window. But that would still mean, what, what did we say, Hitafe on 31 points, is it? Hmm. That's actually three wins in the last seven games. It's quite a big ask. Yeah. 
shall we um shall, shall, shall we go through and see who they've got to play as well because they're playing you've got to be going to this Wednesday night at the Coliseum it's the only place to be Sydney for the visit of Celta Vigo presumably you're going to be yeah. there right right Barry and board Barry and board the last I'll be there you'll, you'll definitely be there um and then uh, after that uh, they're um away to Real Madrid right okay in between the Man City uh, ties so um Presumably, uh, Real Madrid will play their reserves. And then they're at home to Elche, away to Betis, and at home to Osasuna, and they finish away to Valladolid. So, yeah, you know, it's... Um, can they get three wins from there? They can. They can. They can get they three can. wins from there. Yeah, yeah. No, they can. I think they can. Uh, let's see. Let's see whether or not uh, Bordelas can work his unique, brutal version of magic uh, once again. Let's talk about uh, the game that you were at on Sunday night, Sid. You, you, you were at the Jose Torria to see uh, uh, Valladolid almost produce a really special comeback against Atletico. They were 3-0 down. They managed to get it to 3-2. Then they hit the woodwork. It really felt like they were going to get something from this game. But then uh, Atleti managed to score a fourth and then a, a brilliant fifth from Memphis Depay, who was uh, on as a late substitute. Antoine Griezmann with a couple of sensational assists. The Best player in La Liga this season, without a shadow of a doubt. Maybe Vinicius, maybe Terstegen, but I'm saying Griezmann. You're yeah, entitled. I'm with you on that. You're entitled to your opinion. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, this was a great game to a great game to watch on TV, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was lots of fun to be at. It was because it was a weird. I mean, it was partly a, a, a good game to watch because it starts by being a really good game to watch because Atletico were really quite good. Then Vardalith get gifted a ridiculous penalty um, to, to kind of give them half of a chance. Um, I must who, admit, was the, uh, who was the referee in this game? Matteo Loff. Now, I, actually, oh, I, oh, yeah. I think you can give a penalty for, the, for Mario Amos's hand in, the, in, in... I can't remember which player it is now, to be honest with you. But Mario Amos puts a hand in someone's face. And I think you can give a penalty for that. What I don't understand is that yellow card then comes out for the <laughs> goalkeeper, Gribich... Who's nowhere near him? He's, he's, he's not touched anyone. Now I su- you can give a penalty for that, but Matteo Laos did not give a penalty. Well, for that's that. the thing. If if he gave a penalty, <laughs> he appears to have given it for the wrong thing. Now I'm not saying it shouldn't be a penalty because I think it could be, but he seems to have given it for the wrong thing. Except I'm going to defend Matteo Laos here against myself because last night I was saying this is absurd. I just don't understand what that what the bloody hell he's given. If you watch, there's a replay which I watched this morning, which I hadn't seen last night, when he seems to get asked by someone what happened, and I think he mouths the word Mario, right? In other words, Mario Ademosso's foul. So I wonder if okay. actually he didn't give the, the yellow card to Grivich, but Grivich was standing close enough to Mario Ademosso that we in the stadium and the TV director thought he had. So I think it's plausible that it's our mistake, not his. Now, obviously, okay. in the grand scheme of things, forced to choose between me making a mistake and Matteo Loth making a mistake, I'd rather blame him. But, <laughs> but it, it's, it's possible it was me. Uh, I, there we go. That's the magic of Matteo. We're talking about him even when we had a fabulous game to discuss. I mean, so anyway, sorry, what I was going to say. So let, let's go on to that game, shall we? So, so Vardalith get kind of gifted this chance to be sort of in the game. They react a little bit, and they in particular react when, bizarrely enough, actually, when Sergio Escudero comes on. And that's not necessarily a change that you think is going to change everything. Fresneda had played on, on the left, which isn't his natural position. Escudero goes on and replaces him. And more than anything else, it was, I mean, I suppose a little bit like Valencia, except with a big difference. And that is that when Valladolid were arriving in the Atletico area, they're doing it with clarity. Mm. They were getting good chances. There was, there, was, there was a real volume of attack. You know, lots and lots and lots of balls into the box. Lots of players in good position. Um, 
I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say lots of really clear chances, but lots of opportunities to shoot, lots of chances being made, lots of moments when you thought, it's going to drop, and it doesn't quite. A sense that, that this momentum is really building. They score the second to make it 3-2. It's called Edda, in fact, is the one that scores it. And they had a, a kind of a, a run of about five or six corners. felt like five or six. It might only be three or four, but felt like five or six corners in a row, all of them causing problems for, for Atletico, having to throw themselves in front of shots and stuff. Escudero scores with a header, and then two things happen. They have another header that hits the absolute top corner of the bar, so much so there's a nice, actually, bit of footage that I think it's one of the... Must be the Spanish TV channel who showed it. I'm assuming it was Movistar put a tweet out. And it hits the corner, the top corner of the goal, so much on the top corner that you felt like it almost could have burst the ball because it's right on the point of the corner of the goal. And then they get a potential penalty for a handball from Saul, um, which I think is a penalty. But I mean, I realise that we're in this realm now where we kind of hold up our hands on handballs and say we we don't know anymore. But I think this is a penalty. And to be honest, I think it probably always was. Um, And I think at times we slightly overplay this idea that we just don't know what handball is anymore. And I was listening to to one of the Spanish radio stations last night on the way back from Vardis and we just don't know what handball anymore is. And I was thinking, well, we sort of do actually. And I think we, we probably overplay that idea that we've been totally, you know, blinded now um what was interesting about it was that the the uh, papa petzolano the the Vardalif manager post game said look i have no problem at all with antonio mateo laugh that is because he's on the pitch and he needn't necessarily see it he said but i can't understand how someone can sit in front of a computer and watch this many 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 times and not give it uh, and he then said, and this is getting, I'm getting sick of this because this is happening a lot. And if it had been the other way around, they'd have, they'd have been given it and so on. Which, by the way, is statistically unlikely, seeing as Atletico haven't had a penalty all yes. season. Um, so, 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 you know, I'm not sure you've chosen the right people yeah. to say this about. Um, and, and, and he said, you know, there's 100 families who depend on us staying up. And, and, and this isn't fair because my players give everything and this goes against them. Now, I understand that and I understand the human emotion. But I don't know about you, I'm getting a little bit... Tired. And I understand, by the way, this particular decision. He's, I, I personally think he's right. Um, but, but I don't know. This, and and Vardalith hadn't done it until now. And people were saying, oh, it's about time they complained. I don't know. Is it ever time to <laughs> complain? It seems to be what fans want, though, isn't it? I think that's the thing. Yeah. And to be fair, I can understand why fans want it. And I can understand why clubs feel the pressure from the fans to want it. And actually, Vardalith, at institutional level, haven't done it. And this is one of the things that fans are complaining at Ronaldo for mm. as president. Why aren't you speaking out? Why are you not letting... But there's a bit of me that just thinks, but by the end of the season, there'll basically be no clubs left who <laughs> haven't had a go at the referee at some point. I mean, they can't all be right. Hmm. Um, well, no, indeed. Uh, let's move Certainly on. not if they sit in conspiratorial terms. They can all yeah. be right in terms of there have been decisions go against them, but well, not yes. in this kind of, well, if it wasn't us, you know, you'd have given it thing. That's football. I mean, that's literally yeah. football. Um, Anyway, uh, let's move on and uh, discuss uh, other matters. Uh, if there is something that we haven't spoken about, you want us to talk about, send us a question and we'll answer it on the Q&A pod for patrons. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, Barcelona beating Betis uh, 4-0 uh, at the camp now. As we said, the game conditioned by that 13th red card of the season for Betis. This time it was two quick yellows for substitute Edgar Gonzalez, who had only been on the pitch a few minutes. Um a really positive night for Barcelona, actually. After a couple of stumbles, they were beaten, rightly so, uh, justifiably so, by uh, uh, Rayo Vallecano. They'd uh, slipped up against uh, Girona, against uh, Getafe, some unconvincing performances. But this was, a, this was a good performance and lots of positives, albeit against 10 men of Betis. A record 24th clean sheet of the season for Ter Stegen. Uh, still, uh, no opponent 
has scored against Ter Stegen from open play in uh, La Liga at the Camp Nou this season because they've only conceded two goals. One was a uh, penalty against Espanyol scored by José Lu and the other one was an own goal. Those are the only goals that they've conceded mm. all season at home. It's an extraordinary defensive record. There were also lots of other positives as well. Uh, Rafinha with a, a really, really strong performance, coincidentally or not, on the day that Guzman Dembélé made his return from injury coming off the bench. A goal and an assist for Rafinha. And we should talk a little bit, not too much, Sid, not too much, but a little bit about Lamina Mal, who came on. Remember the name? Lamina Mal, who came on, aged 15 years and 290 days to become the youngest ever player to play for Barcelona in La Liga. He was on for a few minutes. He, he actually looked really good. Yeah. Thank yeah. God he didn't score, Sid, because he had a really good opportunity to score. Uh, he took it quite well, but it was safe. If he had scored, the... A hype would have gone into overdrive, it would have been exploded, it's already bad enough as it is, I was looking at the Catalan papers, there were loads of pages about him today already, if he had scored it would have been off the scale, but you can understand why people are excited about this kid, literal child, because he, uh, (laughs) a very young looking child, because he's clearly exceptionally good at football. Little twat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm not having it. I'm absolutely not having it. Born in 2007? Go on, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's terrible. I I mean, I'm really glad actually Tim Lee did it so that I didn't have to because I was thinking this on Saturday night and Tim put a a tweet out and he said, um, (laughs) by the time... By the time he'd been born, Haki and Adore had just gone off. I mean, they, they more or less crossed paths, not quite, but, but you know, they were about the same time because Haki was forced off for injury. By the time that he was born, Haki had already been at two World Cups and played 250-odd games. I just thought, this is just all sorts of wrong. I mean, it's the circle of life and all that, and it's natural, and it just tells me how old I am and, and, and tells Haki how old he is. Um, but it's extraordinary. Now, obviously, look, it's worth... A little bit of analysis here. Now, the, the, the fundamental basic piece of analysis is that this is clearly a very, very talented player. Um, and the fact that he's this young and he's getting an opportunity says there is something there that means that Barcelona think he is special and think that something really special will come from him. He was he was actually sent home um, by the Spanish under-17s. And first of all, it's under-17s and he's 15. Um, what was it, about three months ago? Um, because him and Him and I think two other players, maybe three other players... For, for an act of indiscipline, which apparently was just kind of a bad taste joke that went a bit wrong. Um, and Barcelona themselves kind of also banned him for a couple of day, games and he still lives at La Masia and they're, you know, they're trying to guide him through, through that process. And obviously there's a, there's a duty of care as well as a competitive element, but there's a competitive and obviously by definition that comes hand, it goes hand in hand with, a, with an economic element to this. So the bottom line is this is a really good player who might turn out to be very, very, very good indeed. And, and Xavi was saying post-game, that I think he's going to be a, a, a genuinely special footballer. Obviously, the reason for the early debut, now there's a couple of things. Number one is there's a process and you think, well, you know what, if he's ready, put him in because it doesn't do him any harm. I think it maybe does him some harm in terms of the exposure, but if you think he's ready, then play him. The other thing, of course, in this, and let's go back to that idea of money and, and competitiveness and all the rest of it, is, of course, partly this is about Barcelona convincing to him and the people around him that we want you here. And we're going to prove it to you by getting you in the team. And you don't worry, you will get opportunities. And don't worry, we will get you in. And I'm reminded a little bit of how... Do you remember Martin Erdegaard's debut for Real Madrid? 
And that came mm. ahead of time a little bit, I think partly because there was a desire to convince him and there was also a desire, and this, this is what makes me slightly uneasy, a desire kind of, if you like, in the public eye to say, look how good this kid is. You know, he's coming through, he's going to be amazing. And, and I, 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 it, that worries me a little bit. I mean, I'm, you know, not overly worried. Mm. I, I've not got anything invested in whether Yamal turns out to be a great player or not. But, but obviously with kids, as I always <laughs> say, the best thing in, in a way we can do is to shut up. Um, but we're not going to do that. You don't have anything invested in him. Uh, George Mendes does. Yeah, as George Mendes does, and Barcelona do, and obviously lots of people do. And so this is hmm. this is part of this process, and and it would be naive not to think that. But I, I also don't want to reduce it to that because the bottom line is this is a kid who's bloody good at football and good on him. And and I hope it stays that yes. way. And I hope it, and yeah. I hope it stays that innocent. And I hope he can play brilliantly. And and you know we had this with Ansu Fati. And actually, to be honest, I wasn't as maybe maybe you can listen to me now if you're listening to us, listeners, and say, you're being quite cynical and you weren't like this with Ansu. And I wasn't actually with Ansu, it's true. With Ansu, I, I kind of felt, it felt a bit more natural to me. And, and hmm. there was something about Ansu's demeanour. I'm not really sure what it is, but with Ansu, was, I, there was something really joyous about it at the same time as even then I was saying, let's calm down, let's, you know, let's not put the pressure on him. And I suppose the pressure is inevitable. And in a way, ultimately, the ones who... Who, who really make it are not just the incredibly talented ones, but they're also the ones who deal with the pressure for any number of reasons. Some because they're strong, mm. some because they're simply not aware of it, some because they don't really care, some because they're very happy-go-lucky, or some because they're very good at compartmentalising the football and the rest of it. That's true. That's absolutely true. Um, I think that's a, a, a nice way of, uh, of, of, of talking about him. Though You know, he's a kid who's very good at football. Let's just leave it at that and try and enjoy him. And let's, and let's hope he continues yeah. to be really good at it. Yeah, and let's hope, and let's hope that he, he can enjoy it. And if he wants to go on loan at Real Oviedo to, you know, to improve and to get used to top-level football, then, then great. Did I say top-level football? I'm not sure that was the right phrase. Okay, uh, before we go, we, obviously, <laughs> we have to... At least briefly mention that Karim Benzema scored another hat-trick. His third hat-trick in the month of uh, April. It, it does feel like he's coming good uh, at the right time. Good response from Real Madrid after their uh, a loss at Girona, which Benzema wasn't involved in. We've been having this debate. I've been having the debate with you and basically with anyone who will listen to me. <laughs> should, Real, should Real Madrid play him on Tuesday night against Real Sociedad in La Liga with the cup final coming up against Osasuna and the, um, and the, old, uh, the old Champions League semi-final coming up against Manchester City? Everybody I've spoken to says no, obviously not. But they are going to. We think that he is going to play because the idea of Ancelotti is he's going to play a strong team. He wants his players to be in. I don't know. Um, sort of moment have momentum in terms of the rhythm of competition coming into these big games. I'm not sure, but anything happens to Benzema, and that has really, really dented their chances. So for me, I would keep him at home. Maybe get someone to come and you know, nice little massage, yeah. nice bit of dinner, early night, and just relax instead of flying to San Sebastián and playing a relatively meaningless game. But there we go. It's yeah, I, I have this image now of, you know, you, you say, Karim, you stay at home, mate. Don't, don't go to San Sebastián. And he, he trips over the dog and breaks his leg on the, on the, on the table. People in the get injured room. in training. I yeah. know. It's true. It's but true. no, I mean, That's fundamentally, true. you do look at it and you just sort of think, you know, just don't risk anything. You know, entre algodones, as they call it in Spanish, you know, wrapping up in cotton wool. Don't let anywhere, anything get in the way. Don't let anything near him. Um, but I, I understand the argument of, of momentum and so on. But bear in mind that Real Madrid just don't, don't just go to San Sebastian. They go to San Sebastian at 10 o'clock at night. I'd be tempted to not even travel with him, let alone not play him. I'd be tempted to say, just stay at home. 
Hmm. With the dog and the and the coffee table upon which you're going to get injured. <laughs> well, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Let's not let's not uh, tempt fate. But there we go. Can you imagine if that happened now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, tremendous uh, goal and assist also from uh, Rodrigo oh. uh, against uh, against Almeria. Mega. That was woof. right in that was right in front of me because I was pitch side behind that goal and literally the the place where he 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 does the little pirouette stroke tread on the ball stroke drag back stroke auto pass whatever you want to call it. That point he did it was right in front of me. But the, the best bit of it, and I think it doesn't come across very well on the telly, hmm. and it's one of those rare moments where you really see something really clearly um, pitch side that you don't see on the telly. Is I think it's Samu Costa, isn't it, who comes across to make the tackle, right? He get the ball goes to Rodrigo, and Samu comes across, and you can see it in his eyes and the way he runs. His idea is, I'm going to wipe this little bugger out, <laughs> and he goes really fast to try and sort of shoulder charge him out of the way. And so it's not just that Rodrigo rides it. I mean, he rides a real kind of like I'm going to have you here sort of of a challenge, which by the way wasn't a particularly sensible challenge to do hmm. in that part of the pitch. Hmm. Um, but but he really rides it. So there's there's a, there's a kind of a strength and an awareness as well as just a lovely lovely touch. Absolutely, and really really uh, quality assist from uh, from Rodrigo. Uh, that's just about all we've got time for on this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Before we go, uh, congratulations to uh, Barça Femini, uh, winners of the uh, Liga F, uh, Barcelona's women's team. Their record: played twenty six, won twenty six, goals for one hundred and eight, goals against five. Pretty, They're quite good. Pretty dominant. Literally. I watched them, I, obviously, as you know, I, I watched them in the Champions League semi final uh, against Chelsea. And, and I tell you what, Aitana Bonmati is, is a hell of a player. Uh, this week in uh, La Liga match day uh, 33, we've got on Tuesday Barca Osasuna, Almeria Elche, and Real Sociedad against Real Madrid. Then on Wednesday, it's a massive derby between Valencia and Villarreal, Atletico hosting Cadiz, and Getafe against Celta Vigo. Then on Thursday, Girona Mallorca, Sevilla Espanol, Athletic Betis, and Rayo against Valladolid. Enjoy the midweek football. We'll be back later on in the week over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP to discuss those matches. And there's, of course, a Q&A pod coming up for patrons tomorrow as ever. If you don't fancy becoming a patron, that's okay. We'll be back here next Monday as always. Adios. Cheerio. 